0: Welcome back to Between Two Wings. I'm your host, Emily Norman, and today we have Jason Miller with us. He is a well-known CFI and content creator, the face behind Learn the Finger Points, and he's been a longtime friend of Flight. Uh, been incorporated with the company way longer than I have. Um, Jason, always a pleasure to talk to you, and so thank you for coming on Between Two Wings.
1: Thanks, Emily. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Um, I think some of our chats are, you know, always learn something. It's always inspirational. And of course, just two pilots talking is it's always a fun time.
1: What's better than talking about flying?
0: Exactly. (laughs) So you might be wondering why I've got you and flight chops behind me. I'm actually just recreating our photo from Sun and Fun a few years ago. Uh, Of course we have to incorporate Steve into this somehow, right? Yeah. Um, But on a more serious note, uh, the reason why I picked this is because the way that you guys collaborate and allow, you know, pilots like me and of all levels to learn from your experiences, uh, your mistakes, like I know you just posted a reaction video of one of his uh, training flights. It's an indispensable tool at our disposal on YouTube. And it's, it's incredible that we can all, you know, continue to learn and better ourselves through a platform like this.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and Steve in particular is really brave about showing some of his mistakes and does it in such a careful way. I think uh, regarding that sort of collaboration, like just looking at your picture, you know, that's kind of where he and I uh, really resonated and kind of what I really respect about the Flight Traps channel. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff, but one major thing is the ability to just share openly the things he's doing wrong. Um, Cause it's funny. I mean, You'd asked me like a week ago, like when we were gearing up to do this thing, like, you know, just, you said you might ask me something about like where I came from in aviation or whatever. And this morning I was thinking about it. And it's like, when I was getting into this industry to get a hold of quality info, I remember like mail ordering textbooks from like universities, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone had like a flying magazine and your AOPA magazine or whatever, but that's it, you know? And like, when I think about, you know, just people now being able to like, just pull out their phone on a lunch break or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, call up a flight shops video or a finer points video and get in the cockpit with somebody on a training mission where they're being open about what they're encountering. It's just like night and day. You know, we've come so far and there's so many opportunities, I think, for young pilots.
0: Yeah, so many opportunities. That kind of leads us to what you've got going on in your backgrounds. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Um, well, yeah, you know, like so for me, teaching is the the primary thing. Um not gonna. Well, I mean, I could tell you the whole long story if you wanted, but like a couple, a couple of key points is like my first job in aviation was working at an FBO. So like when I decided that I wanted to get into flying, I didn't have a parent who was a pilot or anything like that. I mm-hmm. just went to the airport and literally knocked on the door. Like, what are like it was an FBO, and I was like, can I work here? You know, I had no idea what they did, right? Um, so I got this job in when I look back at what I learned in that job, it was so critical and sort of like informed what my future would hold. Um, And, and part of it was seeing all these different pilots. There's like airline pilots, corporate pilots, there's CFIs. There's just like everybody passes through an FBO. So I was really open when I got to instructing, like I wasn't sure where I was going. I didn't know if I was going to the airlines, didn't know corporate or whatever. And I just really enjoyed teaching. So, you know, for me, it's always been about, working with real people, helping people solve problems, making analogies, figuring out references that work for people. Like just, I just enjoy transferring the knowledge. So it it occurred to me pretty quick as I looked at like having a family, I'm like, well, if I'm a CFI, I'm only ever in the airplane with like one person at a time. And even if I was like top of my game, charging the most you can charge per hour, like this is going to be a tough career unless I can figure out a way to like package that knowledge and, and, Get it out to more pilots. And that's basically what the ground school app is, is, is like trying to continue that passion for teaching and all those little finer points, if you will, but like to <laughs> package it up in a way where it can go out to anybody in the world. Um, and even now it's super hard. I get requests all the time because of the YouTube channel. You know, can I fly with you or I'm working on training or I don't care what you charge or like whatever, you know, I get all these emails and it's really hard because right now I have to say, no, I'm working on this product. I mean, I still have a couple students, that i work with but there's so many requests coming in most of the time i'm saying no but i'm working on this product that i can give to you that is as close as possible to flying with me
0: the ground school is definitely in addition to all of the amazing you know free content or even kind of behind a paywall on the patreon side of things um you know your point of you had to order these books online and there weren't all the online resources it's, it's truly incredible how you know, the other day I was like, I cannot figure out this instrument approach, and you go to Google or YouTube and you research how to do a DME, and <laughs> right, your video yeah. probably your video pops up, like all these others, yeah. and it's just it's an immense amount of information at our fingertips. Uh, it's yeah. quite incredible.
1: It really is, um, and I think it's great. I think it's great for the industry on multiple levels. But um, you know, I like to talk about that moment at Oshkosh in 2019, when I saw a group of like 15 or 20, 11 year old kids trying to get autographs from the stole pilots, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like hanging out at the stole field. And I was looking at this, like there's bleachers in the background and there's green grass and someone's selling popcorn and all these kids are lined up to get pilots autographs. And I thought, man, this is like, this has got to be a result of YouTube to some extent, right? The ability Mm -hmm. to just for these kids to just, while they're bored in the car with their parents, look up things that they're interested in and find it you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's a really big thing. Um, and, you know, you've been a CFI for what, about 20 years, a little bit more in yeah. the aviation industry, you know, longer than that. Um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing from these external factors uh, on their impact of, you know, student pilots, you know, flight training in general?
1: Um, I find it to be maybe surprisingly overwhelmingly positive, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's kind of hard to um, say specifically what's contributing to the environment that that I'm seeing now. Like it could be COVID for example, but like the bottom line is I don't know if this is like this everywhere in the country, but when I go and fly around these days, it's so popular. It's so busy. Every flying school that I know in the Bay area has like a waiting list. Essentially they're looking Mm -hmm. for CFIs. They've got students that can't find CFIs um, on a, on a Wednesday morning at 11 a.m., I was over at Hayward and they told me there's too many airplanes in the pattern. I have to go somewhere else, you know, (laughs) and it's like 11 (laughs) a.m. on a Wednesday. So I think, um, again, it's hard to say what is causing that, but the state of the industry seems really positive. Tons of people are getting into it. Um, I think things like YouTube and Instagram and all these other places where people find what they're looking for help sort of people figure out like, like if you're a person looking like, what am I passionate about? You're just going to gravitate toward the things you love, right? Like if you love NASCAR, you're going to subscribe to the NASCAR YouTube channel. <laughs> or whatever. But if it's flying, you're going to find what you're looking for. And I think that's helping folks like stoke their passions and like get into the right industry. So they don't be a lawyer for 15 years before they decide I should have been a pilot, you know?
0: Yeah, um, for sure.
1: Yeah. So it seems really positive. And then I think even in the skills department, like when you talk about the DME arc, it's like the finer points YouTube channel is just chock full of so many videos, VFR videos, IFR videos, travel vlog type videos. You know, there's flight chops, there's stuff you guys put out in terms of understanding how to use for flight. I mean, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, what, what should I do to get started in flying? They have just from zero, you know, they have nothing. And I was like, well, kind of just, you can kind of dive in to some extent before yeah. you ever spend a penny, right? Like Look around online. I recommended a few channels. Our ground school app, of course, free textbooks they can read. Um, but there's a lot to do, you know, now for people getting into aviation.
0: Yeah, it definitely brings a lot of positivity, positivity, and makes it more accessible. So diving a little bit into, you know, your experience as a CFI, I think one thing that you really show in your channels and just you know always talking to you is that you're really big on finding people's learning languages. What's going to click with them? And with that quality, you always have an analogy that links to the most non aviation related thing, but you tie it back (laughs) in, um, what are, you know, what are the reasons for this type of approach to connect with someone? And of course you have to give us some of your examples.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think my favorite three analogies that come up a lot are music, horses, and shooting. So like that comes (laughs) up a lot. Um, But sounds like a party, yeah. Sounds like an early burning man, just
0: throw Um, some aviation in it, it's all good, (laughs)
1: yeah. Right? But I think before my favorites, I think there's an important like if you can, um, help make something relevant to somebody. Like, I, I work with a lot of engineers, software engineers, tech developers, and stuff. So, sometimes, for example, when I'm justifying a standard protocol or a standard procedure, I'll say to them you know, why, why don't you type out a link? Like if I give you a link, it's learn slash X underscore Y underscore Z one, two, three, right. If it's this long link, why not type it out? Why would you copy and paste it? And it's a well-known thing in the software industry. You always copy and paste links because of the possibility of making a mistake when you type mm-hmm. it out. Right. So that's a standard procedure that they understand. And I would say the same thing. Well, it's a standard procedure in flying to walk around the airplane before you get in after the pre-flight because if you don't, there's a possibility you can introduce these following mistakes, right? So I think connecting with people is super important. Um, but sometimes like some of mine, like what worked for me, the music one is a fun one um, where I, again, use it to justify standardization. And it's the music analogy is sort of used to illustrate that, Rigid standardization allows for freedom and improvisation. So that's the main you could really like think hard on this too. It could be for your daily schedule, right? Like if you set a hard daily schedule, if you know I get up at 5:30, I eat breakfast at 6:30, <clears throat> I shower at 7, and I'm at the office at eight o'clock, or whatever your morning schedule is. If it's super rigid, rigid, it actually creates pockets of freedom. Because if you shower 20 minutes early and you realize, well, Hey, it's only 740 and I don't have to be at the office till eight and the office is five minutes away. I have 15 minutes to finish that chapter. I started reading last night in my favorite book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like the rigidity gives you the freedom and it's the same in music. If you look at like improvisational art forms, like blues music, blues music all sounds the same, but it all sounds the same so that the soloists can improvise around a known structure. And so, you, like everyone knows blues sort of sounds the same. Mm-hmm. What you're listening for is how is that, how is this group improvising around that known structure? So um, those two examples are ways that I might help communicate to a pilot that by tightening your procedures and becoming more like an airline pilot, you know, 9,000 uh, climbing 10,000, a thousand to go, or whatever your callouts are, right? Like flow check complete or Whatever it is, that type of rigid structure actually creates confidence that you're getting everything done, and allows room for you to improvise when it's appropriate. In the same way, so stuff like that, that's yeah, fun definitely.
0: No, um, I think that's great, and that's just that's how you have to do with you know a CFI student relationship is you have to connect. Um, I mean, I've only been through three CFIs so far, but you know, I'm I'm seeing their different approaches to it and our working relationship, and I can kind of you know, way, which one is working out a little bit more than ones in the past, but no, really good yeah. tips there. What are, what are some other things that, you know, this, we could go on about this topic forever, sure. but what are some things that, you know, you think CFIs should really try to hone in on when they, when it comes to new students or even just, you know, keeping a student like on track and progressing?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, I think that, colleagues are super important. So it's, it's like, um, one of my favorite, excuse me, one of my favorite, um, CFIs, uh, is a guy named Mike Corkland. He's one of my mentors. Mike's probably 25 years, my senior or whatever. And he still uh, comes and teaches with us on our summer mountain trips uh, on our canyons of the Southwest trip is such a, he's such a great guy to have along, such a gem of a pilot. And, um, when I talk to him, here he is in his seventies, he's still evolving the way he teaches. So I'll ask him on a mountain trip. I'll say, Hey Mike, how do you, how are you doing, you know, slow flight into stalls these days or whatever? And he'll say, well, you know, just last week I was thinking about it and I've decided to modify things slightly. Right. So (laughs) it's this evolving process. Um, And I think when I lecture to CFIs, I always say one of the hardest things for us as CFIs is to know how and when to pull ourselves out of the equation. Mm-hmm. So colleagues are super important for a lot of reasons. Um, one is to help you not lose the forest for the trees and know sort of where you should be involved in the operation. Cause on day one, you do everything. And on the last day you do nothing and it's hard mm-hmm. to figure that out. Um, so that's really important. Um, but also I think for me, that was all the setup I've, I've evolved a bit myself. And what I'm really trying to focus on in, is the first 25 hours, if it's a pri- primary student. Um, and in those first 24 hours, I find myself spending a lot more time these days, becoming generally familiar with the airplane and not teaching maneuver based training so much. Um, so, you know, going out there with a dry erase marker and covering up the flight instruments with paper and just talking to the, to the person I'm flying with, say, watch what happens when we pitch up and let go. You know, watch what happens when you push the rudder. Do you see And like discussing these aerodynamic concepts, but getting just generally familiar with the airplane. Um, it's, it's those first 25 hours are such a huge responsibility for CFIs. Really. It's like, it's, it deserves a lot of thought because, um, at the same time that you're trying to to teach them these very basic things, you're also trying to impose some amount of like rigidity and procedures Mm because you don't want them to be sloppy pilots. Right. So it's this delicate balance. Um, and sometimes people ask me on Instagram, what's the one thing, if I could pick one thing in the first 25 hours. And so my answer to that is a tight grip on the yoke, right? So if if you were my student, I would say one of the most important things about the first 25 hours is not having a tight grip on the yoke. And we might, I don't know if you can see my hand. We might fly around like this for a while. Is that a, is a pencil?
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Anyway, <laughs> pencils through my fingers. So it hurts if you grab too tight. Um, but I would want to make sure that you're your primacy, your fundamental basic habit is flying with two or three fingers and using the trim. Um, and I say that because I've discovered a number of problems downstream of a tight grip. So, you know, trim altitude control, airspeed control, there's all sorts of problems. So if you just solve that one problem up um, and these are the kinds of things you'll discover from colleagues. So not just using colleagues as phase checks, but like that would be something you'd get. If you went up to a guy like Mike and said, what do you think is the most important thing in the first 20 hours? You know, somebody that's out there teaching every day.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And, um, I think this is a really good example of some of the content you produce. I feel like every time we talk, I'm, I'm learning something. I feel like you're always giving a groundless lesson to some extent. Um, no, I know you have a log of, I know, (laughs) I know you have a log of really good videos that touch on some of these topics from the pilot and, um, CFI perspective or even just rusty pilots, you know, trying to get back into aviation or improve their skills. Um, So, you know, you are kind of always wearing the CFI hat. Uh, It's really coming out even just talking to you now. Uh, But there are times where you, you know, put that aside a little bit and you fly solo. Uh, What are some of the differences that you see when you are, you know, staying right seat versus solo in the left seat? And, um, you know, whether it be, you know, issues you have to overcome or things you've recognized in your personal flying.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's really different is the, is the first thing. I mean, CF, as a CFI, and you're right, I'm mostly wearing the CFI hat, but as a CFI, you're a coach and you're trying to get the person you're flying with to their best game. Like you're trying to make them as good as they can possibly be. So it's really not about you. It's about this ideal. Like you have this perfect, they're, they're, they're fighting perfection. Basically, right? You want them to be perfect. Um, so when I'm flying my family or whatever, and I'm in the left seat, it's just like this battle going on in my head. I'm I'm now held accountable to the things that I know I would want myself to do, um, but that's not automatic. It's not just because like if it's easy for me to sit here and judge you, right? Like if you and I fly <laughs> together, oh Emily, you should have more callouts, more flow checks, more things, whatever. And I'm oh, not yeah. wrong, right?
0: Yeah, I would love that evaluation one day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And we're going for perfect. So I'm not going to tell you to be like a B minus. Oh, you're good enough. That's fine. Right. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get you to perfect. So the same thing when I'm in the left seat, I'm not perfect, but I, I have that objective self, you know, trying to bring my game to that perfection and, and it doesn't really ever get there, but it's, it's the struggle that counts, right? Like you have to be trying for it. And I think I said this to my, uh, one of my editors just got his private two days ago. And, um, I said to him, we were talking about personal minimums, right? Cause he took his wife flying after he got his certificate and we we're talking about personal minimums. And I asked him if he had a set, if he had them written down or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, and there's a funny thing here with, with when I lecture, I'll say to people, like how many people have personal minimums and like 70% of the room might raise their hand, but if I say like how many of y'all have like written them down? Like you have them written down somewhere where you could like hand them to me. You know, 80% of those hands go down. So we're down to we're like you know, it's just a couple hands out there that have actually written them down. And so I will say after, you know, more than 20 years of flying regularly that when I fly by myself, I find one of the absolute most difficult things for all of us in this unregulated Part 91 environment is is holding ourselves accountable to the stuff we decided ahead of time we were gonna mm-hmm. do, right? And I'm no different. Um, so when I sit down in the airplane, it's a struggle sometimes, Not and not all the time. I mean, if it's a beautiful day and I've got no schedule, it's like whatever. But if I'm 10 minutes late to get to a lesson, you know, should I do the run-up while I'm taxiing or should I stop in the run-up area? Like these are small decisions that like go through your head and you're like, like you have to really fight against the unregulated ability to just do whatever you want. And um, that's no different. The more experience you get, it's probably even harder. And that's one of the things that keeps professional pilots so safe is they're uh, constrained in so many ways.
0: Yeah, definitely. When you don't have those constraints, you know, you have to hold yourself accountable or reach out and find someone who will do that as well. I mean, kind of goes back to the aviation community is incredible and we're always trying to help each other and keep each other safe in this uh unforgiving hobby that we all enjoy so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just unforgiving. That's right. So you can't you have to have these processes that would prevent you from doing something stupid.
0: Yeah. Well, I know we could go on and on about, you know, all different aspects of being a CFI, your experience, um, but we have to end it at one point. So I highly encourage everyone to either go to learnthefirepoints.com Uh, Check them out on YouTube, Instagram, all the social media platforms um, to really just learn more. You know, pilots are always learning whether you're a newer pilot like me or a CFI who's just trying to learn how to adapt their, uh, you know, lessons and training to new students. So definitely check those out. And Jason, thank you so much for coming on Between Two Wings. It's always so fun to chat with you. I always feel like I need to bill you or you know, send you money because you've taught me something each time we chat, but, um, I think
1: four flights got you covered. Yeah.
0: We'll be good there. So (laughs) yeah, but thank you again so much for coming on between two wings.
1: No, thanks for having me, Emily. It's always fun to talk
0: for sure. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning into this episode between two wings. We'll see you next time.